Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. The Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA, invites you to log on, listen and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 62. Thanks for joining me. I hope you are doing well. So today on the show, we are jumping back in time. We're going back to the past to see how far we've come in sterile processing. Not too far though. So we're going back about 10 years, just far enough to see what changes, if any, there have been in the sterile processing industry. So let's change out the music and let's get started. All right, so like I just said, we are jumping back into the past. Why is history important? I have a few quotes from some folks. So one, a people without knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. And that comes from Marcus Garvey. And here's another one. If you don't know history, then you don't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it's part of a tree. And that comes from Michael Crinchton. So interesting. So it's not just me. There are plenty of others out there that agree that history is important. Well, for this episode, I thought it would be interesting to go back about 10 years and just see how far we've come in sterile processing. So what I did is I pulled some articles from the process publication. Uh, Back then it was the communique and I pulled those from 2012, so about 10 years ago. And when I was searching through, I found about 10 articles that were pretty interesting. So now I know there are more, uh, but there's just simply not enough time to review all the articles that we could have. So here we go. First article. The first article is titled Medical Device Instructions for Use. That should ring a bell. Always instructions for use. So instructions for use, IFUs, or they call them directions for use. So DFUs, however you say this. Uh, These both mean the same thing. A document that provides a set of instructions on how to use medical devices. As simple as it may seem, creating an instructions for use document and using the instruction for use document can be as complex as the medical device itself. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, requires all legally marked medical devices in the United States to have IFUs because IFUs provide directions for decontamination and sterilization and also address storage requirements and how to use the device during an evasive procedure. Now, healthcare personnel refer to IFUs for guidance. The Joint Commission looks for accessibility and compliance to IFUs during surveys and the Association for Advancement of Medical Instrumentation, AMI, and the Association of Perioperative Nurses, AORN, 
refer to IFUs in their recommended practices and standards. Safe use of medical devices for patient care is the goal for all stakeholders in the process, with the IFUs being the common denominator. So central supply staff and other healthcare personnel provide the critical link between medical devices and the patient. So that's why this is an important and key role in the infection prevention chain. Collaboration and partnership provide a path to success for use and selection of medical devices and products. The article also talks about overcoming IFU obstacles. So let's see if these sound familiar. Decision-making begins when device products are considered for use in a healthcare facility. Reprocessing requirements must be known and evaluated as part of the decision-making process. Cleaning may require special equipment that is not currently available in the facility, and sterilization needs must be reviewed to determine the equipment required as well. Multidisciplinary collaboration results in the best decision-making to assure patient needs are met. Another section is titled, Help is on the Horizon. The FDA, users, and industry recognize the importance of collaborating on reprocessing, and as a result, at the time of this article, was written in 2012, there is a document processing reprocessing medical devices in healthcare setting and validating methods and labelings. Now this has been developed by the FDA and is in draft format. This document is intended for device manufacturers and FDA staff. So in 2011, the FDA held a summit to elicit feedback from users, device manufacturers and regulatory agencies as well as FDA and Amy sponsored uh, this medical device summit. So some of the evidence from this summit showed the need for standardization. So it was clear that devices submitted for clearance must not require extended sterilization times. Although this will not change requirements for devices currently on the market, it will support processes towards future standardization. Also, Amy is addressing the issues of IFU standardization through work on the TIR-12, a manufacturer's document titled Designing, Testing, and Labeling Reusable Medical Devices for Reprocessing in Healthcare Facilities, a guide for medical device manufacturers. Now, this document is currently in place. By now, it is well established that IFUs must be provided and followed. Now, all that sounds simple, but in reality, it's not. The healthcare community clearly understands their responsibility in attaining IFUs and knowing the content of each device, each IFU. Device manufacturers are required by the FDA to provide those instructions, but it is not widely understood in healthcare facilities that following every IFU poses challenges beyond the authority of most reprocessing technicians, managers, and directors. And so we have a list of some of the frequent challenges that folks encounter. So one, there is no standard IFU format. IFU did not accompany loan instrument sets. And some of these sounds vaguely familiar. IFUs included in packaging, but clarification needed. IFUs are too complex. Multiple IFUs exist from the same manufacturer for similar devices. 
There are no standard cleaning instructions. There are no standard sterilization parameters. Inaccessibility of all IFUs in the work setting. Human factors considerations, most commonly PPE requirements. Lack of understanding whether the proper equipment, meaning brush sizes, ultrasonics, washers, is readily available for staff to use. Ensuring that staffing in the department is adequate to support the number of hours required to follow IFUs. And then rounding out the list, ability to appropriately and fully comprehend and interpret the IFUs. So what do you think? So is this article still a, an issue 10 years later? So let's call this one still an active issue. Although work has been done in the past 10 years to correct some of these issues, we're still a long way off. This is still an issue, uh, even though it should be a non-issue for us. All right, next article. I found some information on unique device identifiers, UDI. So let's read some of this information. The FDA has issued a proposed rule on the establishment of a unique device identification system, UDI. A UDI is a code that contains two types of information, a unique numeric or alphanumeric code called a device identifier, which is specific to a device model, and a production identifier, which includes the current production information for that specific device, such as a lot or batch number, the serial number, and or expiration date. While the UDI will appear on the label and packaging of device in some cases, the UDI could be marked on the device itself, such as devices like implants and devices intended to be used multiple times and sterilized after each single use. Low-risk devices may be uh, exempted from the rule and may only require device identifier on the label. So the FDA is proposing a phased-in risk-based approach to UDI implementation, focusing on highest-risk medical devices and exempting low-risk devices for some or all of the requirements. The proposed system also builds upon standards and systems currently used by the device industry, reflecting substantial input received from the clinical community, other regulators, and industry experts. So the purpose of the UDI system is to have more of a harmonized approach to standardized device identifiers, enable the clinical community to better identify medical devices, document devices in electronic healthcare records, accurately identify devices in adverse event reports, and quickly and effectively identify recalled devices. So I like the statement phased in approach. I don't know if you caught that. They said that they, they want to do a phased in approach. So it sounds like a phased in approach will last about 70 years, give or take 20. I'll be honest, I was a little surprised to find this article. And that's because my UDI awareness probably started about five, six years ago. So we're here looking back 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I had no clue 
about UDI. To be honest, I really didn't care too much about it. So UDI, it's not going anywhere. And I'm sure 10 years from now, we'll still be talking about UDI. All right, let's talk about our next article, and it is moving beyond the wild, wild west of reprocessing. Hey, well, what a treat. We have a special guest for you today. Man, are you in luck. Hey, have a seat. Have, have a, pull up a mic and have a seat. Folks, what an honor. We have a special guest joining us today. Help me welcome, we've always done it that way, Willie Ray. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Willie, what brings you by the studio today? Well, I reckon it was this article you're about to jump into. The wild, wild west of reprocessing. Well, I, j I just figured you might need some help. And I have what you call somewhat of an expertise in this area. Well, okay. okay. Willie Ray, the mic is yours. Have at it. Well, thank you, Sonny. Things certainly have changed since I first started in the healthcare field. I like to refer to those as the good old days. Well, you know, reprocessing of reusable medical devices was a lot less complicated back in my day. We cleaned and sterilized instruments the way we were taught. And you know who taught me? You know who taught old Willie Ray? It was Billy Ray. You know, we just did how we thought was best. But I tell you what, our instruments back then were much simpler. I often refer to them as the knives, forks, and spoons of surgery. Well, you know what? The landscape of today is changing. The future is here. Healthcare environment demands that we abide by a new set of laws. I call them territorial laws. They're, they're those published standards and recommended practices. You know, we can no longer use the old sheriff or the gunslinger way of doing things. You know, or this is how it was done in my town. You know, that's how I got my name. We've always done it that way, really, Ray? Well, that's another story. We don't have a whole lot of time to get into that rabbit hole. Back then, back in my day, if we wanted to know how to reprocess something... I would just ask the next person next to me, hey, how do you think we should do this? And they would say, I don't know. And we were like, well, how about this? Okay, sounds good to me. Well, nowadays, they want you to ask questions. Get this, get this, listen up. They want you to look up IFUs. You talk to me about IFUs and we're going to take it outside and settle this right here. All right, Willie, settle down. You're right, you're right, you're right. I, I got all flustered. I, I apologize. You know, doing things because of tradition, because that's how we've always done it, doesn't seem to be an option for me anymore. You know, we live a more complicated and high-tech world where sophisticated instruments... Well, that's a $5 word right there, isn't it? <laughs> sophisticated instruments and complex designs have created challenges and barriers to how I used to do things and how we used to reprocess. So folks like me, who've just always done it that way, are kind of dying. We're a dying breed. Not many of us left, you know. You know, them's really were the good old days. 
Well, that's all I got. I gotta get. <laughs> all right. Well, there goes Willie Ray. Well, that was interesting. Let's uh, give it up for I've always done it that way, Willie Ray. Okay, I apologize to everyone. That was horrible. That was a horrible rendition of an old timer. But much like Willie Ray, this statement, we've always done it that way, should be taken out to pasture. So let's do this. If you make a promise to never utter the statement, we've always done it that way ever again, then I will try to keep Willie Ray at bay and away from this podcast. Sounds like a deal. All right. Uh, without any more voices, without any more characters, let's get into our next article. And this one is about benchmarking dashboards, useful tools for central uh, sterile supply departments. Central sterile supply department managers can use benchmarking to improve the quality of products and services they provide while at the same time reducing their expenses. Managers who practice benchmarking tactics establish standards of excellence against which activities, products, or even the entire sterile processing department can be compared. They then use dashboards to manage, track, and communicate key elements of the process to stakeholders. In general, all aspects of the sterile processing department can be benchmarked. Managers must determine what should be tracked with emphasis on their material and human resource priorities. Here it says that uh, vendors offer benchmarking software. A lot of these are generated within your electronic uh, tracking equipment and processes, and those can be very helpful. However, traditional paper and pencil methods of collecting require information with manual counts and the use of Excel spreadsheets or tally sheets that can be used by managers with limited resources. They have a list of common benchmarking measures, and those include departmental work volumes, departmental mission goals and objectives, performance improvement projects, best practices, staffing, productivity, budgeting, and financial issues. So the extent to which benchmarking is used and the details are tracked relates to the time and resources available. Effective benchmarking requires that all team members have input to and ownership of the process. The benefits, risk, and results of benchmarking should be routinely shared with those who are impacted in sterile processing. Early considerations uh, when developing benchmarking and dashboard systems involves defining its objectives, purpose, and benefits. Okay, so in all, the benchmarking article, I think this is a good article. I think that it, a lot of it can be applied to sterile processing today. I think this is one of those really timeless topics and it's, there's always good information when you talk about benchmarking and tools that you can use. I think of it kind of like a process improvement project, right? There's, there should always be a PI project going on in sterile processing. And that means that you should always be striving to get better. So using any kind of benchmark data or using dashboards, you know, they're all good tools that can be applied in sterile processing. Now, my only caveat here, and I didn't really read too much of this into the article, but I just want you to be careful when benchmarking other than internally in sterile processing means if you're benchmarking against other sterile processing departments, you really need to be careful, right? Because 
not all departments are the same and it's it can be difficult to benchmark against others you may find that you run into issues so for internal benchmarking and things like that i think this is a great article again i think it's timeless a uh, really good read okay our next article and this should be a no surprise to you it's no surprise to me flexible scope risk again make ecri's top hazard list so in november ecri institute the independent nonprofit organization that researches best approaches to patient care made a big splash with its 2012 top 10 technology hazards now this list was emblazoned across the new york city's times square billboard not only did the placement of this information give high impact exposure to what ecri believes to be the leading health technology challenge but it also simultaneously shed light on a key issue facing healthcare organizations and of course sterile processing departments and that is cross-contamination of flexible endoscopes now here it came in fourth on the list now it's not the first time that cross-contamination of flexible endoscopes was introduced by ecri as a leading technology hazard last year this would be in 2011 it earned the top spot on their list so it just further underscores the critical importance of proper care processing handling of complex instrumentation and its accessories now ecri determined the severity of risk by weighing a number of factors including how harmful the technology hazard is how likely the hazard is to occur how widespread it is and whether the hazard presents a high profile problem so some of the risk reduction strategies in its 2012 report ecri offers the following recommendations to reduce the risk of cross-contamination from flexible endoscopes ensure that specific reprocessing protocols exist for each flexible endoscope model in your facility's inventory periodically review protocols to ensure that they are clear and comprehensive and that they reflect the current environment for example for example verify they don't include obsolete workflows or equipment chemicals that are no longer in use at the facility when developing or reviewing protocols ensure that all steps are addressed and documented in adequate detail from pre-cleaning of equipment at the treatment site to safe aseptic transport of equipment back to treatment site for subsequent use if your facility reprocesses endoscopic equipment using a reprocessing unit such as a automated endoscope reprocessor or a liquid chemical sterilization system or gas plasma sterilizer ensure endoscopes and related equipment in your facility or inventory are compatible with the reprocessor and and the disinfecting and sterilizing agent ensure that documented protocols are readily available to staff and that staff are trained to understand and follow those protocols so good information in this article on one hand i'm disappointed that we as an industry are still dealing with endoscope issues on the other hand this was kind of the start of a different way of thinking right endoscopes are were now in the public eye infections and deaths were being noticed and reported you know so we couldn't hide under this rock that we like to do right st91 was updated in 2015 
and then again uh, it was refocused and reopened and now the newly published ST91 2021 is revised and has been released. You know, manufacturers are reevaluating IFUs and cleaning processes, and some companies are even moving from high level disinfection to sterilization. So, even though we're still dealing with some of these same issues, the industry is moving forward. Now, probably not as fast as we would all like it, but it's moving forward, and anytime we can move our industry forward, it's definitely a good thing. All right, last article from our blast from the past is titled The Importance of Water Quality in Instrument Processing. So the article reads, The reprocessing of surgical instrumentation is a complex, multifaceted process. Failure to perform all the steps correctly can have serious consequences for our patients. Contaminated instrumentation can result in the transmission of pathogenic organisms from one individual to another, and that can lead to a post-operative complication and or infection. One of the most important and often forgotten elements in the sterilization process is water. Healthcare facilities get their water from a municipal water supply, which collects water from rivers, lakes, or streams. As a source water, untreated water travels over land or underground. It picks up dissolved minerals such as bacteria and viruses, pesticides, radioactive material, and metals such as copper and lead. Water treatment plants significantly reduce the level of substances through filtration, aeration, and disinfection to render the water potable, which is safe to drink. Now, some contaminants that remain in the tap water can be harmful to instruments, equipment, and patients. Therefore, further purification is required for instrument reprocessing. Now, this article goes on to talk about several other different topics, uh, those being purification, water quality and the cleaning process, water purity, and the water as it relates to sterilization. Now, there is a great water treatment diagram in this article explaining the process. And then they also have a table that describes the different types of water, different types of treatment, and then uses of those water in, re in reprocessing or in sterile processing. You know, my initial thought was this article is really ahead of its time. But like most things in sterile processing, as an industry, sometimes we're not really ready to take on uh, different issues or start making changes. So, you know, water quality is one of these things. It's been there. Water quality has always been there. Uh, we just haven't been really hyper-focused on it. So water quality for me is a hot topic. Uh, and I think that if you notice, there have been several presentations out there circulating on water quality. The Amy TIR-34 is now being transitioned into a standard. So that's good because what it does is it gives clear guidance what to do and how to deal with water and water quality. And so uh, I've also heard that there's been increased focus from surveyors uh, when dealing with water quality. Again, water has always been there. It's just now we're focused on it, which I think is great. And, you know, we'll move us forward. So that's all the articles I have for you today. 
I hope that you have enjoyed looking to the past. I hope that in the next 10 years, we will be able to look back on today and be amazed at just how far forward we have moved the sterile processing industry. HSPA episode number 62 is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, log on to myhspa.org website, and make sure you use the code WILLYRAY. Again, the code for this episode is WILLYRAY. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, and we'll see you next time.